Morning, everyone. Um, so, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, that'd be great to have them open. Um, we're going to be looking at two Corinthians this morning, and um, we're going to explore a little bit more um, this theme which we've had over the last couple of weeks around aspects of our identity, and um, we've been particularly thinking about two questions that the last couple of times Rob has spoken, he's asked us, um, do you know who you are and do you know what you've got? And there are many, many answers to those two questions and we're going to look at an answer which Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 4 this morning. And um, it's always encouraging um, when Facebook Uh, is listening to God and hearing from God in the same way as the speaker. So for those of you who are in the Jubilee Facebook group and saw Pam's message about read this passage, and I responded with, ooh, I'm preaching on that. So it's good to know that I'm in tune with Facebook. Um, And uh, anyway, I was encouraged. So we'll see what God is going to say to us. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen 
are eternal. I think we should pray. Father, when we gather as your people, you come. You come. We come and sing a few songs. Maybe it feels just like words on a screen, but you come. You inhabit our praises. You fill the room with your presence. You draw us closer to yourself. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your presence amongst us this morning. And now as we turn to your word, would you speak to us so clearly by your spirit? Father, would you show us indeed who we are and what we've got? Father, may these words, the living word, become alive to us afresh this morning. And speak to us, we pray. Change us, transform us to look increasingly like you. Amen. Okay, well, do you know what this is? A jar, a jar of sweets, a jar of sweets with stickers of minions on. Um, But anyway, um, it's a treasure jar. I'd never heard of these before um, until I went to the first summer fair at my son's infant school, where the deal seems to be you buy a ticket and then the ticket matches a number that's on the jar and you win your treasure jar or you get your treasure jar. Everyone's a winner. Everyone gets it. Um, And inside, there's usually a collection of sweets. Um, In this one, there happens to be a balloon and a little notepad, but you might get a toy car or some stickers or fake tattoos or whatever. Um, Basically, a load of stuff that when it comes home, parents would like it to be lost quite quickly. Um, but for children, it's meaningful. Treasure. Treasure jar. And um, the whole point of the treasure jar, which um, we're not advertising any particular brand of coffee, but um, looks like it might have been Darag Burt's. Um, and uh, it's just an everyday jar. And that actually isn't the important bit. What's important for the child is what's inside. And that essentially is what we're going to talk about this morning. So in answer to this first question, and I'm going to ask about five questions through the morning. um, But this first question of do you know who you are? Verse seven of that passage we've read says you're a jar of clay. Just turn to the person next to you. I'm going to get you to do this a few times through the morning because British people love to interact in random ways with people sat next to them. Um, So turn to the person next to you and say, you are a jar of clay. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've never really liked this verse. Sorry about that. But with a surname of clay... It gives you way too easy a target for some kind of cheesy joke or something uh, when you're growing up. And so I've kind of avoided really looking into it in that much detail, but found that I've had to over these last few weeks. And I, I have, over the years, found myself wishing that the alternate translation of earthen vessels had taken on more rather than jars of clay. So that's why I use the NASB, okay? <laughs> 
But the idea of earthen vessels, and I don't know whether this is one or not, but um, I was given it yesterday, so I thought I'd bring it along. Um, The idea of an earthen vessel or a jar made of clay is that it's really common. Really common. And in Paul's day, that was the main household container that stuff was stored in. Not preserved in, but just stored in. Stuff would be put in it, liquids or or whatever. They were fragile. They were replaceable. They broke easily. I thought about just dropping it on the floor this morning, showing you how easily it will smash. Um, But I think it's a high quality one. Um, So, um, but they're, they're insignificant, really. In the grand scheme of household containers, you wouldn't pick out a jar of clay. And it made me wonder what the equivalent would be for us today. And uh, so I wandered around my house looking for jars of clay and couldn't find any. But what I did find was loads of plastic boxes. So I've got some pictures for you. So uh, in this one, it will appear on the screen in just a moment. There we are. So uh, we've got, and Peg doesn't know what's coming up now, so... uh, We've got a a plastic box full of conkers. Not sure why. Um, uh, Full of pegs. I do know what they're for. Um, A box down here that used to have some toys in, and the toys are kind of being used next to it. Uh, And uh, a plastic container with some tea towels in it. Um, Also, on the next slide, we've got uh, a plastic box full of craft storage things. Um, We've got a plastic box with some chocolate cornflake cakes in. Yeah, it was good when I found that one. Um, And uh, some potatoes and an onion. So quite a variety. But then I noticed, um, so on the next slide, uh, we have a storage system for plastic boxes. So here we've got a set of shelves on the wall which have plastic boxes in, and that contains loads of tat. Because obviously one kitchen drawer isn't enough for all the bits and pieces you don't know where to place. So we've got a whole set of plastic boxes for them, things like light bulbs and that kind of stuff. And also, as you'll see on the next picture, we have a drawer dedicated to the storage of plastic storage. And although the perspective isn't quite that good there, it's one of these deep pan drawers. So we could have been cooking, um, but instead we're storing plastic boxes. And then I went to my mum's house yesterday and saw this. (laughs) I mean, dearie me, I feel like I haven't really met her standards in terms of plastic box storage. Um, They'll be moving house soon, so that's going to be interesting as well, whether all that survives. But um, just one last one, because this is my personal favourite. This is a plastic box for the storage of used batteries before they go to be recycled. And although it's not in the picture, that actually sits on top of the lid that belongs to the box so they don't get separated, which I think is a nice touch. So... But these things just get absolutely everywhere. And do it when you get home. The more you look, the more plastic storage you find. 
certainly the case in my house. And I haven't even mentioned, you know, those punnets that you get your grapes in and drinks bottles and all that kind of... There's loads more different types of plastic storage. Exceptionally useful, fairly disposable. They wear out, they crack, the lids get lost or left at school. They're replaceable, they're forgettable. They don't even get noticed. I think that if you came round and I put in front of you that box with the chocolate cornflake cakes in, you wouldn't be commenting on the plastic box. (laughs) That Paul is making. He's basically saying your jars of clay, your everyday containers, you're not worthy of note. Is that what he's saying? What he's saying is that in the house, these things are not things that we write home about common and everywhere. And his point is that God chooses the ordinary and places inside them the extraordinary. And the world, when it looks at us, does not initially see anything impressive or special because we're just everyday containers. With jars of clay. But what that leads to is our second question. Do we know what we are? Well, Paul says we're jars of clay. Do we know what we've got? We're full of treasure. So turn to the person next to you and say, hello, treasure. (laughs) Oh, I meant to change my note. Um, I meant to say, you're full of treasure. That was it. You're full of treasure. We are absolutely obsessed by appearances in our culture. And we saw this, uh, I I think, what was quite a good example of this the other week. So Theresa May, our Prime Minister, gave a speech to her party conference. The speech was an unmitigated disaster by any standard in the annals of public speaking. You can't can't get away from that. But what was interesting was that the media and the commentators focused almost exclusively on the fact that she had a cough, she was interrupted, she needed water and a cough suite and the set fell apart and all that kind of thing. All about the container, nothing about the content. Nothing about the content of the speech. Now, we could sit down and debate about that content, if you wish, um, because I'm sure we'll all have a view on it. But what it said to me was, we don't know how to handle public displays of weakness in places we don't expect it. We don't expect a prime minister, when they stand up to give a speech, to have that happen to them. We expect a a display of power, authority, of kind of public speaking superbness. And that's not what happened. And so the media got wobbly about it and focused on the externals. Really interesting. The Corinthians, too, were a people obsessed by appearances. And that's why one of Paul's big themes throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians, when the letters that he writes to the Corinthian church, talk about how God chooses the things which are weak to shame the strong. The foolish to shame the wise, the poor to shame the rich, the have-nots to shame the haves. That's his theme. 
Why? Because we get obsessed by the external, by the appearance, by the container. And actually, what God places inside is far more important. And actually, God's got a pretty strong track record of doing this sort of thing. So he chooses the unchoosable to be his partners. That's essentially what he does. So Moses, a big speech impediment. God chooses him to be a spokesperson to the most powerful ruler in the world. Chooses the unchoosable. David, the son who, I mean, there were seven of them. He was the youngest. His father forgot that he had him. That's the son that God chooses to adopt as his son forever. Gideon, who was the least of the least of the least in his family and tribe, and was so scared that he hid underground, God chose him to be the mighty warrior (laughs) and lead this tiny ragbag bunch of men against the most powerful, the orphan, God choosing the unchoosable. Esther, the orphan, who was extremely attractive and used her body to get into the king's harem, God chose her to have access to the king so that through her he could save the nation. Peter, the uneducated, impulsive, loudmouth fisherman who denied his best friend when under pressure, that's who God chose to preach to the world at Pentecost and use to build his church in those early days. Paul, the murderer of Christians, that's the man God chose to be the one entrusted with the mysteries of the Gentiles being reconciled as part of the family of God. The cross, the most humiliating and painful way to die. That's what God chose as the way of reconciling man back to himself and conquering sin and death once and for all. God chooses the unchoosable again and again and again and again and again. He chooses the unchoosable. He takes what is unusable and he uses them by placing treasure inside them. These useless containers, these everyday containers that are flawed, cracked and damaged and fragile and ready to break. He takes them and he places treasure inside them. And what verse seven says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What this verse says is that he has done that for you and he's done that for me. I find that amazing. I find it amazing. So what then is this treasure? Well, I think Paul gives us a bit of an insight. And uh, he says in verse five, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the gospel. What do we preach? Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the gospel. And he goes on to expand it a little bit in verse six. And he says, That God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give, this is the treasure, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. Wow. Just wow. That is priceless. That is the most valuable thing you can possess. The light of the glory of God. 
sorry, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You contain the key to the future for every single person you meet. Did you know that? You do. I do. You have the answer. You have the hope. You have the meaning for every single person whom you meet. Why? Because you carry the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What that means is that the fullness of God, as revealed in Jesus, is carried by you wherever you go. It's a similar idea to the phrase in Habakkuk 2.14, which says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. How's that going to happen? Well, one way that's going to happen is that God sends his church out across the face of the earth. And in each member of his church, he puts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we cover the earth with that knowledge. You're part of that. Now, we tend to lock up our treasures, keep them safe, safety deposit boxes and all that kind of stuff, if you're wealthy enough, um, only wearing them on special occasions. And even then, we keep a careful eye on them. That's not what God does with his treasure. He hides it in us and he puts it on display to the world. And we carry it wherever we go, whenever we go. Turn to the person next to you and say, see, I told you you're full of treasure. (laughs) With feeling. (laughs) I really encourage you to learn that phrase. I know I stumbled over it earlier. But you have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Christ. You wake up in the morning and say, that's what's inside me. That's going to send you through the day. Believing differently about the people you interact with. People who have. So Paul is saying then that we're jars of clay, ordinary, everyday, normal people who have extraordinary riches placed inside us. And the question that that raises is why? For what purpose is God doing that? And so to begin to answer this question, I want to look at two sub-questions. The first is, what happens to the jars of clay? Well, the passage helps us out here. So um, here we go. And they'll appear on the screen, actually, uh, one by one. So uh, the first thing that happens to them is that we are afflicted in every way. Good, isn't it? We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. We carry about in our body the dying of Jesus. And we're constantly being delivered over to death. That's what happens to jars of clay full of treasure. Oh, doesn't quite seem so good anymore, does it? That's what happens. 
That's what Paul says. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying around the death of Jesus, constantly delivered over to death. Anyone still want to be a jar of clay filled with treasure? It's too late because that's what we are. So unlucky. But Jesus says in this life, you will have trouble. John 16. That's the promise. The world will hate us. Because it hates truth and it hates light. And what's the treasure in it? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So because we carry light and the world hates light, it's going to hate us. The world will persecute us. Why? Because it persecuted our saviour. And whatever they do to Jesus, Jesus said they will do to you. So if you want to have this treasure in you as a jar of clay, then you can expect this. You can expect this list of things to happen to you. So that's the first sub-question, what happens to jars of clay? The second sub-question is, how do jars of clay react? After such pressure and difficulty, we've already talked about how kind of weak these are and how easily breakable they are. So what happens to these? Well, the good news is that jars of clay have big butts. And that's why they don't fall over. So in verses 8 through to 10, it says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Four big buts. Really important. And a couple of so that's as well. Carrying around the dying of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Constantly delivered over to death so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. All this pressure, the pressure of of affliction and being persecuted and being struck down and being perplexed. And yet, they don't succumb to it. That's what happens to jars of clay. Pressured, but not succumbing. Now, as a church, we've seen some challenges these last few weeks. I'm sure we can think of various situations where we've stood together and we've prayed. Few situations where our fragility as jars of clay has come to the fore. Talking about Sonny's funeral. Talking about a number of different situations. But within that, I really want to honour Trev and Wendy for their example last week in the face of challenge. So Wendy was poorly, was in hospital, seriously poorly in hospital. Last Sunday morning, she was in the intensive care unit, I'm right in saying, texting Trevor saying, can you get the church to pray? That is being under pressure but not succumbing to it. Trevor, meanwhile, was here (laughs) with the three boys. What was going on? To be with God's people. 
He wanted to worship in the face of what was going on. This is where he wanted to be in the presence of God. What an example to us as a church. Under worrying pressure, highlighting this fragility that we've got in our bodies, their response is to go to God and stand with God's people. Well done. Well done, Trevor and Wendy. Paul, you see, under all this pressure, and he writes this from first-hand experience, is able to go on and conclude this chapter by saying that we don't lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying and our inner man is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. Outwardly decaying and fading, inwardly glorious and hope-filled. That's what Paul writes about. And so we can respond with those four buts. I'm perplexed. Notice that it's okay to be perplexed. It's okay to be confused about what is going on, to ask questions, to query what is happening around, to not understand it. That's what being perplexed means. But not in despair. Yes, you're suffering persecution. But I know that God is with me and I'm not forsaken. That's what those truths are saying. Paul's perspective, you see, is so future oriented that it gives him the strength to survive in the here and now. Whatever these external pressures on his jar of clay, he knows ultimately where his hope lies. Under pressure, you see, these things easily break. Easily crushed, fit only for throwing away. And there's no way that they should survive that sort of pressure. And so the fact that when they are pressured, they're not crushed, despairing, forsaken and destroyed is miraculous. Because it shouldn't happen. So under the pressure that we've just talked about, we shouldn't be able to react the way we do. It's not a natural thing to do. And again, the Bible is so helpful with loads of examples of this. I'll give you a couple. Stephen being stoned to death. That is a fairly intensive pressurized situation, I'd suggest. He should not be praying for the forgiveness of those who are stoning him. But that's what he does. Paul and Silas in prison at midnight. They haven't done anything wrong. They should not be praying and singing hymns at midnight, but they are. The persecuted church whom James writes his whole letter to shouldn't be able to, quote, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, but they can. And I could go on and on with examples. Is because it raises a huge question for anyone watching. How is it that weak and feeble, common as you like vessels, can react like this in a given situation? How is it that the unchoosable can actually survive? How is it that these hopeless cases don't seem to be quite as hopeless as they appear to be? 
And the only answer to that is that it's not about the vessel. It's not about the jar. It's not about us. It's not about the earthenware pot. It's about the potter. It's about God who chooses the unchoosable, who adopts the abandoned, who saves the failures, who restores the wrecked and who chooses and welcomes the outcast. It's about him. And in verse seven, the all surpassing greatness of the power of God. That's why jars survive. You see, a jar that is afflicted and persecuted, perplexed and struck down, but not crushed, despairing, forsaken or destroyed, can only be like it because of the working of his mighty power in that jar. And that power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I thought you'd be more excited about that. That power that is working in us, this all-surpassing greatness of the power of God in us, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's that power that reversed physical crushing, beating, scourging, exhaustion and wounding. It is that power that conquered sin. It is that power that disempowered Satan and that power that overcame death. That's the power that is in each of us. And that's why jars of clay don't get crushed under pressure. It makes no sense otherwise. Makes no sense that Trevor was here while his wife's in hospital with his three sons worshipping God. It makes no sense unless it's the power of God in him focusing his attention on the one who is able to do all things. So we carry this power in us as we go out into our weeks. And when the world looks at us, they might look at us initially, like I said earlier, and see nothing special. Just a jar. Just a plastic container. But when they see how we react, when they see what happens to us and where our focus is, that raises a huge question that must point them towards God because it is only because of God's work in us. And the whole purpose of God doing this is so that his glory is spread around the world, so that he gets the glory. Everything points back to him. Why? Because he has to be glorified forever. I'll be honest, I've struggled how to finish this because I don't know where you go from here. Hands up if you want a bit of persecution. But actually, I feel that what God has emphasised through this morning is a question for us of, do you believe that I am able We had a word earlier about fear not. You know that instructions related to not fearing 
occur 366 times in the Bible. It's one for every day of the year and a leap year. I mean, that is just amazing. (laughs) You can't even fear on the 29th of Feb. But I feel there's something in that for people. Maybe you're facing pressurised situations. You know something's coming up or you're concerned about this, that or the other. And the question is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you throw your lot in with the one who is able to do all things? You see, God's treasure is in you. But we are still just jars. And so we do get this affliction, perplexion, and if that's a word, and so on. We do get that. But in those circumstances, his power is at work in us. And so there's a question this morning for some of you as to will you choose to trust in him? And I'd love us to pray for you. And I think there's also a response from the end of worship just about flowing with him do you know who you are do you know what you've got because it's his spirit working in us that enables us to live in this sort of a way so i'd like us to stand and we're going to do two things if you are feeling like a pressurised jar at the moment, then I'd love you to come and stand at the front so others can stand with you and pray for you that you will know the mighty working of his all-surpassing power. That's as much as we've got to give you, I'm afraid. But I think it's a pretty good start. So I'd love to pray for you. So, if, And that can be anything you don't. If you don't want to, you need to disclose details of what that pressure might look like. But you just know, actually, I would value my brothers and sisters standing alongside me at this time and praying for the mighty power of God in me. So that's the first one, first response. And the second response is about not fearing. Not fearing. Feel there's something in that that there, maybe there's fear mixed up in some situations at the moment and you just need people to stand with you and say, God will be with you. What was it? Perplexed but not despairing. Yeah, there's no need to fear. So uh, we haven't, I haven't planned for any music to come or anything like that, so we're just going to do this call, which is always harder. But if you want to respond, then do come forward now and we can pray for people. Just while you do that, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you have chosen each one of us and you've chosen us to be carriers of your treasure. We thank you that revealed in Jesus is you. (laughs) And then you place that in us, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Thank you that that's what we carry. And Father, I pray for us as a people that we will be treasure jars going out into the world, causing questions to be raised in people's minds. Father, I pray, particularly for Saturday, Father, I pray that that place will be full of jars of treasure, revealing your grace, revealing your power, revealing your authority 
over all things, including death, in that place. And that will speak in a mighty way to the people who gather there. Father, we want to be a people who are full of your presence, carriers of your treasure. So, Father, I pray now anointing on us as a people. Mm. Father, just as people are responding, we ask that you would draw near to them, you would strengthen them. Father, that they would know what it is to stand firm amidst pressure, whatever that pressure is. Mm.